Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, it was a wild weekend of football. Uh, How was your weekend? It was unbelievable, Carson. Wild doesn't even begin to describe it. Saturday was absolutely nuts in college football. And then when you think it can't be topped, Sunday happens. The NFL goes absolutely bonkers. A whole bunch of soccer players can't kick a football in between two posts. It was it was madness. It was a great weekend. Football season is officially in full force. Uh, I love everything. Iowa State beat Iowa. What a great weekend. They killed Squinky, their version of Squinky. Finally, of all the years they beat Iowa, like, you know, Matt Campbell's had like his best teams in school history the last couple of years, and they, they couldn't win that game. But lo and behold, they just needed Iowa to uh, have more punts than points so far this year. So that was that was beautiful. That was one of many games that I really enjoyed watching and enjoyed the outcomes of. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, the blueprint is out to beat Iowa, right? Get to eight. That's the blueprint. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to Iowa and some other teams in the big 10. I couldn't uh, resist. We have a lot to discuss with Oklahoma state, their big win against Arizona state. Uh, but first sir, from Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris's university spirit.com. I'm sure Chris's was rocking and rolling, needed a lot of t-shirt options for the game. The stripe, the stadium was Black, white, and orange, Colby. It kind of affected my uniform pick. I, I, I guess I forgot to look at the graphic that it was going to be a uh, horizontal stripe with black. So the pokes went with the white, black, white combo. But uh, what did you think of the the striping of the stadium? I hadn't seen a, a horizontal striping. I thought it looked okay. Yeah, I thought it looked really good, actually. And the fans did a good job, especially the students. I figured that, you know, kind of the other seats where everything is you have your assigned seat. I figured most people would do a good job, but I figured the students would be a total disaster because it's mostly general admission. It wasn't at all. I thought the uh, stadium was striped very well in the first half. In the second half, uh, when no one went back out because it was pouring down rain, uh, yeah, not so much. But in the first half, did a great job striping the stadium. We had to pop in Chris's to get my wife a uh, white Oklahoma State shirt. And, uh, yeah, they took care of us as they always do. So, uh, yeah, I thought the striping of the stadium went very well, and I enjoyed the horizontal three-level striping. Perfect. Yeah, I thought it looked good. Um, let's get into the game, uh, Colby. Just um, look, I, I came into this game not thinking Arizona State was very good. I, I still think they're about a middle of the road Pac-12 team, but they they do have athletes that that we know. And it was kind of a, a rough start, giving up that long run to start the game. And um, the offense kind of got off to a slow start. Let's, let's start with the offense, though. Uh, I just thought, Colby, that – and look – as much as I wanted to, you know, heart back on the play calling and maybe being a little conservative, maybe, and, and you know, coming into this game, they really wanted to reestablish the running game with the running backs. I certainly understand all those things, but for me, it had less to do with, you know, Mike Gundy and, and Casey Dunn. It had more to do with just some, some simple mistakes that kind of put them behind the chains. You know, they had a couple drops early. Braden Johnson had some key drops, had a few penalties on the offensive line. It was kind of a slow start, I thought, mostly of Oklahoma State's undoing. What did you think of the way Oklahoma State's offense started the game? Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. I'm sitting there in the West End zone and, uh, you know, obviously not a great start after you put up so many points in week one. But 
I, I wasn't too concerned because it was all self-inflicted. I didn't really think Arizona state was doing a lot that was crushing Oklahoma state. Uh, Braden Johnson had two drops uh, early. I think both maybe in the first quarter or first half uh, Bryson green had a drop early. Uh, and then on the offensive line, uh, Jason Brooks had a couple of penalties. He got an unsportsmanlike conduct where he pushed a guy's head into the turf uh, on one drive, which was a drive killer next drive or, or two drives later, he gets a holding penalty, which backed him up, made it like second and 20 and they couldn't uh, dig themselves out of it so it was just some some mistakes early and against an Arizona State you can get away with some stuff like that and once they kind of clean that up I thought the offense uh looked pretty good now what I really liked Carson was last season there were times where the Oklahoma State offense just struggled in a key moment and the defense had to go out and bail them out I mean we saw it time and time again last year and and Saturday we saw the exact opposite thing happen, right? End of the third, start of the fourth, the defense gives up just a, an indefensible third and 18 where a guy catches a 15 yard pass and then just uses four guys like a sled to get five more yards. They give up a third and 18. Then they let Arizona state score on two more plays. And all of a sudden, Carson, we're looking at where it's 14 minutes to go in the game. And it is a field goal contest. This game is far from decided and could go either way. And you know what you needed? You needed your offense to bail out your defense in a key spot. And what did they do? They marched down the field. I think it was three plays in 54 seconds that Oklahoma state scored in that moment. They get the ball back. They march right down the field and score again. So I was very encouraged that this team faced a little bit of adversity leading by only a field goal in the fourth quarter and the offense and Spencer Sanders and Dominic Richardson and those guys said, no, 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 we're good. We got you. And they marched down the field a couple of times. So a slow start, but I was very impressed by what I saw uh, on those two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. It's a great point. And I, I think it illustrates how I think this, this team is way more equipped and way more uh, able to play complementary football. And that's something we've just seen forever at Oklahoma state, either the, the offense is usually one of the best in the country and the defense is, is flat out bad at times over the years. Last year, you mentioned it. I mean, they had one of the best defenses, not only in school history, but like really in the history of the big 12, you, you can really say that. And they did, the defense did have to bail out the offense last year. I think we've seen the offense has really improved to answer that call. Like you mentioned, that drive was so big, so key. And they simply were not able to do that last year. So while the defense may not be as good, and it's certainly not as good as last year, I thought they really stepped up, and we'll get to the defense. But mainly, the offense is better to where I'm. I, it's really why I was so bullish on Oklahoma State this year is I, I feel like they can play on both sides of the ball to win well enough, either either or or both. And I think you, you really hit on it there. And I think the key to the whole thing, uh, Colby, was – you know, coming into the year, Dominic Richardson, we knew was going to be the guy. We, I, I obviously like what I've seen out of Ollie Gordon, who had a touchdown uh, through the air. But the emergence of Dominic Richardson, I think, we, we might look back at this game. Maybe he won't probably have the same season that Jalen Warren had last year when he broke out against Boise State. But for me, I think we're going to be looking back at this game where Dominic Richardson really took hold of the starting running back position because he was a workhorse. I mean, 27 carries, 131 yards, touchdown, also had 44 yards receiving that, that screen pass he took, I thought was one of the biggest plays of the game. Uh, I think Colby, we're starting to see the identity of this offense come through where you can ride Dominic Richardson. Is he, is he Chuba Hubbard? No. Is he even Jalen Warren? Probably not. 
But is he good enough to win Big 12 games and win you a Big 12 championship as your starting running back? I think he really is starting to show that he is capable of that. Yeah, no, I could not agree more. And like you said, the 27 carries and the five uh, receptions, that's 32 touches for Dominic Richardson in the second game of the season against Arizona State. And I'm glad that you brought up that screen pass. I think it was third and seven or third and eight there in the fourth quarter. I mean, Arizona State was in hot pursuit. Spencer Sanders had to retreat rapidly to give that play time to set up. And then Dominic Richardson had it. He got out in the open field uh, and, and he was running over some guys and making some guys miss in space. I've been very impressed with Dominic Richardson and you, you kind of needed him to show you that, right? I mean, Oklahoma state needed that last year. This team came into the season, didn't really know who the running back was going to be. Didn't know if you had kind of that guy, that 30 touch guy on the roster. And then Jalen Warren emerged, right? Dominic Richardson. Now another year in the program, another year older. And, and clearly he's being given the chance to, okay, are you that guy? Because if you are go show us, and, and I think he's showing you a little bit. Mike Gundy talked about him uh, earlier today in his press conference about how physical of a runner he is and, and how he continues to improve on the things that he's good at. Uh, and Mike Gundy even made a point. He's like, look, he's not Kendall Hunter. That's not who he's going to be. He's, he's not a scout back. He's not elusive, but he is going to go out. He's going to run people over. He's going to be physical. And that's what Oklahoma State needs. Uh, I thought the offensive line played well, especially in the second half. I thought they wore, uh, pardon me, Arizona State down throughout the game and they were just bullying them up front late in that game uh, as the rain came down and you needed to be able to move the ball on the ground. So I, I was very, um, let's say, pleasantly surprised with, with how well Oklahoma State dominated up front and how well Dominic Richardson played in the second half. Uh, and again, Carson, just really adverse weather in, in which you need to be the tougher team uh, and win up front and Oklahoma State did that. Yeah, the, the line of scrimmage was was a huge factor in this. I thought Barry Trammell had a really good stat on on the improvement of the offensive line, and, and they really showed it in this game. Uh, Arizona State, in, in short yardage situations, needing no more than three yards for a first down, Arizona State converted just one of six. That led to the Sun Devils being only two of 13 on third down conversions. And uh, OSU's... Um, meanwhile, OSU... I thought I had the OSU stat pulled up too, but... Uh, OSU, well, I can't find the stat now. Okay, here we go. Meanwhile, OSU was seven of nine on short yarded situations. Oh, nice. And 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 remember to last year, I mean, Colby, just even with a Jalen Warren, when they would get to third or fourth and short, like you weren't sure they were getting it. And that's been that's been a problem, I think, for for many years, ever since the offensive line's been kind of just in constant uh shakeup with with new coaches and things of that nature. Like they, I mean, they did install that that jumbo package on the goal line in week one, but they're proving early on this season, Colby, they can they can run the football when it counts, when it matters, and they can get a push up front, which I, I really didn't think was the case much of last year besides uh, Jalen Warren kind of making things happen behind the line of scrimmage. No, you're absolutely right. And there were a couple of times, uh, even in that first half, Carson, you know, they dominated at the line of scrimmage in the second half, but first half, uh, there was a drive where Oklahoma State pretty much just ran it down Arizona State's throat and they got inside the 10 and, and I'm sitting there uh, and, you know, me and my dad are always sitting there talking strategy during the games in the West End Zone and stuff. And I'm like, they can't stop it. Just keep handing it to him. Hand it to him on first down. He gets four yards, hand it to him on second down. He strolls into the end zone. And then what I really loved, Carson, there was a drive, uh, maybe it was late in the, in the second quarter, uh, I know it was first half because I was still in the stands. We, we had to leave at halftime because we had the baby and the rain was coming in. Uh, but 
there was a drive where Oklahoma State was on their own end of the field, about their own 30, and they, they ran a couple of quick plays, and they were set up with like third and half a yard, and they didn't overcomplicate it. It was third and half a yard. They got to the line of scrimmage in about four seconds. They snapped the ball as Arizona State was still trying to get set, handed it to Dominic Richardson, and he just bowled forward for about four yards. That is so simple. You don't need to overthink that. Boom, quick, win at the line of scrimmage. Your running back picks it up. I I am bullish on this Oklahoma State offense, and it's not always going to be perfect. It was not perfect early in that game. We mentioned the drops, the penalties. Uh, Spencer Sanders made a, a terrible read down in the red zone and threw his first interception of the season. But kind of like we talked about last season, Carson, it didn't snowball, right? It was just kind of a bad start. A couple of receivers with drops. Spencer makes a bad read, throws a pick, but it didn't snowball. It stopped there, and the rest of the game, they were pretty clean. So, uh, yeah, just just all around the complimentary football uh, that's being played right now. Uh, I'm, I'm getting increasingly bullish on this Oklahoma State team, Carson, uh, especially as I watch the rest of the Big 12 kind of look like, you know, I don't think any fan base right now in the big 12 is looking at their team thinking, wow, this is a juggernaut. So if you're not totally on board with this Oklahoma state state team yet, I get it, but I don't think that there is a juggernaut in this conference this year. Uh, And I think Oklahoma state's going to be right there at the top of the league. It's going to come down to winning close games. It's another reason that I like what I saw uh, with them getting in a field goal contest in the fourth quarter and being able to overcome and just be the better team. Cause you're going to get in some close games in the big 12 and that's going to determine who winds up at Jerry's world. So uh, yeah, very pleased with what we saw from the offense on Saturday. Yeah, the Big 12's more wide open than it's been in probably more than 10 years. It's just, it's completely wide open. That includes uh, Oklahoma, who who tends to win the league every year. Uh, one note on the on the offensive formations, and I want to ask you about Spencer Sanders. Uh, Barry had a really good stat as well, Barry Trammell and the Oklahoman. Uh, you know, you and I harp a lot on running four wide receivers, getting more more spread-oriented in, for Spencer, and that didn't really work very well against Arizona state. So it is nice to be multiple the way Oklahoma state is with their cowboy backs Uh, against Arizona state, having at least one tight on the, on the field, one tight end on the field proved beneficial. And in the first 19 minutes of the game, OSU ran 29 offensive plays and 20 of those included at least four wideouts. but those possessions ended up with four punts and an interception. OSU scored on its remaining three possessions of the first half using a three-wide formation on all but one of its 25 plays. In the second half, the Cowboys used a four-wide formation on only nine of their 38 snaps. So as much as I love, you know, 11 personnel, spread it out, four or five wide, uh, I like the fact that Casey Dunn showed that this offense can be multiple with those tight ends and they can move the football if, if something's not working. I think that showed, Colby, that, you know, so many times last year just didn't feel like they adjusted or really tried anything different. And this, I think this game showed you that they're willing to mix up their, their personnel to, to find the right matchups. And they certainly did that with the Cowboy back on the field, which, Hey, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but at least in the Arizona state game, that, that decision paid off. Yeah. I think it's just showing you that Casey Dunn uh, is starting to figure things out. And look, again, I feel like with offensive coordinators, Oklahoma state, we did it with Yersich. I think maybe we did it with gun. Pardon me with Dunn. We jumped the gun a little bit, right? You know, guy comes out first year, offensive coordinator, working in some new pieces, offensive line injuries. Oh, this isn't going to work. And then guy gets into year two, year three, year four. All of a sudden things start to click. 
things start to look pretty good. And I think that's what we're seeing with Oklahoma State. And we were critical of, uh, at times of Casey Dunn uh, early in his tenure at Oklahoma State as offensive coordinator, and, and things were not going well offensively. But if we're going to be critical uh, when things don't go well, I think we have to give a lot of praise to him for, uh, I think, what we've seen as growth as an offensive coordinator uh, and just an understanding of his personnel and what will work, what won't work. He is putting the pieces in the right place to be successful, and it's not cookie cutter, right? That's what you just talked about. It is not cookie cutter. It's, okay, this is what this defense is doing. Here's how we can beat it. We can beat it with the Cowboy back. We can beat it going four wide. We can beat it a lot of different ways, Uh, and I'm telling you, Bedlam last year and the game against Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl really gave me confidence that maybe Casey Dunn was starting to figure this out and that he and Spencer Sanders uh, were developing kind of this this symbiotic quarterback OC relationship. And nothing that has happened in weeks one or two uh, has made me think any different. I've been very impressed with Casey Dunn. Uh, Again, we all want to be critical of the coaches when things are going poorly and then probably not nearly enough credit uh, is thrown their way whenever things go well. So a, a lot of credit goes to Casey Dunn for how smoothly I think this offense is operating what do you think of spencer sanders his performance against arizona state uh, I think good, not great. Uh, you know, again, he had the couple of three early drops. The interception was was just a bad read. I mean, that was coming right at us there in the West End zone, and he just, they got to the line quickly in about five seconds. He took the snap, first read, boom, linebacker was right underneath it. Uh, it was a bad read. It was a bad play, but, you know, it, it's one interception. I mean, guys throw interceptions. That's part of football. I don't expect perfection, uh, but, you know, I do expect a veteran quarterback like Spencer Sanders to bounce back from something like that, and I I think that he did. Also, uh, I'm reading here on, on pistolsfiringblog.com the, the 10 things uh, to know following Oklahoma State's win over Arizona State. I did not realize, Carson, Spencer Sanders now has 26 career wins as the starting quarterback at Oklahoma State. He trails only Mike Gundy and Mason Rudolph for most career wins by a starting quarterback in program history. He needs seven more to top Mason. They've got 10 more regular season games, potentially a big 12 championship game and a bowl game. Barring injury, Spencer Sanders is going to wind up as the winningest quarterback in Oklahoma state history, uh, which I I just, I don't know that I would have seen that coming a couple of years ago. Uh, I I think that his growth has been impressive. Uh, He didn't let that interception get him down. Look, it was a bad read. It was a bad play. You bounce back, you move along. And I will continue to reiterate what I've been saying, Carson. He is an elite, elite running quarterback. His instinct with the ball in his hands as a runner is so, so impressive. The option down on the goal line where he fakes the pitch. I mean, he had that linebacker so spun around. I can't believe he didn't injure him when he faked the pitch. He is such a special runner. And that is a big part uh, of the equation that you have to factor in when evaluating Spencer Sanders. So uh, all in all, you know, wasn't perfect. Wasn't 470 yards and six touchdowns, but I thought just a good solid performance from a veteran quarterback. And he did what you needed him to do in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I said it last week. I mean, there there are quarterbacks who run, and then there are are guys like Spencer that when they tuck the ball, they essentially turn into a running back. I mean, his his instincts when he's running the football is that of a a very high-end running back. And you certainly saw that on on two of his his best runs of the night. And I I love that you pointed out the, the speed option. That's such a good play call. Like, option football has worked for 100 years for a reason. He put so much pressure on that Arizona State defender on the outside that he really didn't even need him to commit to the running back. He basically had him a half a step off, and that's all Spencer needed. He just cuts it inside and scores before the guy can even make a move for him. 
I mean, you put so much pressure on the edge when you run plays like that. I, I loved it. I, I loved that play call. And his his running ability is is some of the best I've seen at a, as out of a college quarterback. And, and what I mean by that, like I mentioned, like there's been plenty of fast guys who can get outside the pocket and run for 10, 11 yards and get out of bounds. Like Spencer's tucking it and trying to score. And, he, and he's done a really good job of scoring so far this year. That, that to me, it just continues to be really impressive. I mean, you always got to worry about injuries and things of that nature. But I think when you scheme it up the ways they have, I think it really limits, it really limits the danger as far as taking a big shot because he's so elusive in the open field. Passing, I, I thought he was kind of inaccurate most of the night. I mean, a lot of his passes were, were kind of off. Uh, I mean, John Paul Richardson made a spectacular catch on a, on a really, really a, a throw that was what we call a hospital ball, where you kind of <laughs> leave it over the middle of the field and, and the safety's lurking. That's made that catch even more impressive that good call. He, he could hear the footsteps on that one-handed catch. But I thought he was inaccurate most of the night. Um, but in the, in the interception, I mean, we've, we've seen this from Spencer before, right? Just the over the middle. This is why Mike has really said run the ball and throw it sideways because he knows when you throw it over the middle, bad things can happen. And, and that's certainly, he, he didn't even see the linebacker. And, but the most impressive thing to me, Colby is like last year. And I know they had a defense to rely on, but still this happens last year. They just start handing the football off and shutting Spencer down. I mean, there were, there were times last year, the Boise state game, he threw 13 passes. I mean, they, they just shut it down and said, we're running the football. And I love that they now have the confidence in him to bounce back, keep throwing the ball. He threw it for 30, uh, 38 attempts. And you can sit here and say, well, Spencer wasn't as good. Well, you look at his number, I mean, 268 yards passing, that would have been his third highest total of all of last year. Wow. Only behind the Notre Dame game and only behind the Kansas State game when he threw for 344. I mean, 268 eclipses every other game from last year. I think that shows you the progression, not only of the offense, but his ability, I mean, he, one, one interception, uh, it was a bad one, but he's not throwing multiple. And I think it just shows that the, the ceiling on Spencer's game and this offense has really risen from last year. Cause it, the way that game played out in the first half, like last year, they're, they're shutting it down. They're going uber conservative, uber vanilla. Don't make mistakes. Don't turn it over. And I, I thought you just saw a lot of confidence in Spencer and, and rightfully so. I thought he paid that confidence off. Yeah, no, that's a good point about the the confidence in the coaching staff to not shut it down and just let Spencer cook, right? Uh, that's what we've been saying. You've, you've got to let him go because, again, Carson, I'm willing to live with that mistake from Spencer Sanders because he gives you so much else that is special. Uh, you, you know, this is another conversation we were having on Saturday as we're watching that first half. I just kind of thought about it. I'm like, there has never been a quarterback in Oklahoma State school history that is remotely close to the runner that Spencer Sanders is right. Am, am I, am I missing anybody, Carson? I, I look, I was born in 1992. I just turned 30. I'm not that old. Is there a quarterback in Oklahoma state history? Who's half the runner that Spencer Sanders is. Tony Lindsay was really good at running okay. the football. Yep, uh, he's up there. Zach was a really good runner. Not Zach wasn't as explosive, but he was, he was fast. I mean, he, he, he had really good, like that was a big part of their offense. When, when Zach Robinson was quarterback, he ran the ball yep. quite a bit, but those are, those are really the only two uh, that really come to my mind. Now, if you, if you go back to the eighties, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but of the, of the Gundy era and, and a little prior to Gundy, those are the two that come to mind. 
Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good shout with Tony Lindsay uh, and Zach Robinson. We talked about Zach, and you know, I, I remember watching Zach. I was probably in middle school, high school, uh, whenever Zach was playing, and he was a really good runner. But uh, Spencer's just so special uh, with the ball in his hands whenever he takes off running. I, I can live with the mistakes, um, and again, I, I love the coaching staff trusting him. He 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 wasn't having his best night, and they still trusted him. And it was raining. And they still trusted him. And I love that because a guy like that got to keep his confidence up, uh, need him feeling good because, again, you, you've got your rum dumb, you've got your FCS by this Saturday. I hate the stupid FCS games, but you've got the FCS by this Saturday. Then you get to take a week off, and then you get Baylor, who played a, a really good game uh, Saturday night against BYU and came up just short. We talked about how that line was, was squirrely, and I knew, I knew something was squirrely with that game. Uh, but, yeah, you, you need Spencer to be right going into Baylor because uh, your real tests are over. You're just going to go out. Saturday's going to be a scrimmage. Then you've got two weeks to prepare for Baylor. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm optimistic, but obviously you've got to go out and execute. Uh, still some things that need to be cleaned up. Gundy talked about that a little bit today in his press conference. There are still some mistakes, some early season mistakes being made, uh, but hopefully Oklahoma State can clean a lot of that stuff up uh, and look good moving forward. I've got a question for you, Carson. This receiving core for Oklahoma State. Now, again, it's a weird game because the offense got off to a slow start and then the weather got bad in the second half, but it has been a very even dispersion on the receiving chart. I mean, we've got Bryson Green, five for 83, Braden Johnson, four for 81, Brendan Presley, only four for 23 in that game, John Paul Richardson, two for 23 in that game. And I don't actually necessarily look at that as a negative because if those guys are getting coverage shaded their way uh, or for whatever reason, the, the offense just isn't flowing their direction that night. I mean, I think that those are four names I just rattled off. Bryson Green, Braden Johnson, John Paul Richardson, and Brennan Presley. Any of those four guys, I think, could be your leading receiver week in or week out. And I think that that's tough for an opposing secondary to prepare for because it, it's not like, uh, what's an example? You know, I don't know. Whenever Dez or Blackmoon was in town, obviously those guys are crazy elite and hard to cover anyway, but it's like, all right, let's just double this guy on every play and live with somebody else beating us. I, I don't know that Oklahoma state really has that guy that you have to double on every play, but I think that they've got four guys that you have to worry about for four quarters. Uh, so I, I kind of like the depth that I'm seeing right now uh, from Oklahoma stayed at the receiver position yeah and that's before i think Jaden bray probably won't play until the baylor game i mean there's no reason to play yeah. him against arkansas pine bluff i think he certainly could end up being the leading guy out there on the outside but you're right i think it's a good point in that they don't have just this this alpha that you know like you know the the tay martin of last year where you just you try to eliminate that guy on the outside and let everyone else beat you i think they're so multiple with how many receivers they can put out there and and I tell you what, like, look, he only had two catches for 23 yards. He had the highlight reel one-handed catch. But I think John Paul Richardson, to me, is evolving from, hey, that that's a nice nice role player, a, a nice receiver to come off the bench, to I think he's evolving to a, a stud. I, I don't want to use the word star yet, but he he's a stud. And I, I love every time I, I, I see this guy play football because he gets open, catches everything. Uh, does the right things, as Mike Gundy would say. That's a good but, Gundy. Um, I, I think, I think the emergence, like in this particular game, especially of Bryson Green five for eighty three and a touchdown. I think to your point, you could see Rashad Owens do that on a given week. Certainly, uh, Braden Johnson's proved that week one. Uh, John Paul Richardson, Brennan Presley. I, I, I think you're so right that I think it's going to be just kind of what 
the way that shakes out with the defense and how they're playing as a, as far as who's going to lead the receiving core week in week out. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. And and it could depend on how coverage is being shaded and stuff like that. I, I just think it bodes well for an offense when you have a bunch of guys that you can lean on and that Spencer feels comfortable with. And I think he does in this offense. So uh, all in all feeling pretty good on that side of the ball. Uh, what about the defense Carson? It's, it's some good, some bad. It, it's just the big plays, man. You, you got to cut down on these big chunk plays. Uh, the defense I thought was really good. 95% of the game. But then that other 5% is a 73 yard touchdown pass and a 43 yard rush and a 38 yard screen. It, it's just the big ones that are getting them right now. Yeah. I mean, I got to ask you what the mood in the stadium was like after that first run that went for like 45 yards or whatever. Not great. Was everyone kind of panicked in, in, uh, in Boone Pickens? I don't know that it was panic, but it was just kind of that uh, everybody almost whispering under their breath. Here we go again. Oh my gosh. It, it just, it had that feeling like, golly, the breakdowns were there last week. The breakdowns are going to be there this week. You're going to have to score 48. And that didn't end up being the case. The defense really did uh, solidify quite a bit, gave up a couple of touchdown drives there, one in the third quarter, and then one early in the fourth. That was a result of that third and 18 that I mentioned earlier uh, that Oklahoma State allowed Arizona state to convert, but, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was not great. There was a little gasp, like, here we go again. Well, I thought Arizona state came in with some, some nice wrinkles. I think that caught OSU a little bit off guard. Uh, Barry Trammell also had a really good stat on first downs. Arizona state gained 130 of their 354 yards on first down. So they, they did a really good job at, at not being very predictable on first down. And, and look, I, I think OSU has a little bit of problems at the linebacker spot setting the edge. You know, some of those runs were just simple off tackle plays, but the biggest plays in the game by far Colby are kind of what we were concerned about coming out of week one. It's the, it's those routes over the middle where they don't communicate. They don't figure out who's got who, and it leads to just, just giant chunk plays. And that's something that that's not going to be going away. And a lot of them are over the middle of the field. I mean, the middle of the field can be really dangerous for offenses and it can also be exploited, which we saw uh, from Arizona state. So I, I'm, a, I'm still very much concerned about the secondary and how they're going to give up. And, and this is before Colby that it's going to be a while before they play a team that truly airs it out. I mean, Baylor doesn't air it out. Uh, tech might try. Uh, the tech certainly will test them a little bit. TCU, then Texas, who knows if viewers plays. But I'm a little concerned on the back half of the schedule uh, with, with the downfield passing and, and shoring up uh, the secondary. Because, look, and we'll talk about the defensive line, which is just it's the best defensive line I've watched wearing an Oklahoma State uniform, like bar none. Uh, they're, they're amazing. And perhaps they'll play well enough to where it'll shore up you know, the secondary not being as great. But I don't know, man. The, the the chunk play is really the only thing that's hurting them. I thought they played well for the most part throughout the game, but those those chunk plays are going to get you beat at some point. No, you're absolutely right. They are. You know, you know another thing that I thought was interesting, and probably couldn't tell this watching on TV, but by my count, Kendall Daniels played zero snaps in the first half. If I miss one, I apologize, but I'm almost certain he didn't play in the first half, and then he comes out and plays pretty much the entire second half, so I'm, I'm not really sure uh, what was going on there. Mike Gundy did talk about the communication earlier in his press conference. He was asked about the communication on the back end, and, and basically what he said, uh, and it's a little bit of coach speak, but 
it's also, I mean, he's not wrong. The guys that you had, the linebackers in the secondary that you had were, they were old guys. I mean, we're talking about 22, 23, 24 year old guys on that defense who'd played a bunch of football together and knew how to communicate, knew where each other were going to be at all times, knew who had who at all times. And that's just very different than 18, 19 and 20 year olds who are really doing this all together for the first time and, and trying to figure it out on the fly. It's very different. So is that a little bit of coach speak, you know, kind of the excuse of, look, we lost all our veteran guys. Yeah, it is. But I think it's also kind of a valid excuse. These guys need some time to figure it out. And again, that that's why I'm a little nervous about opening the conference slate with Baylor because your real tests are over. So now these guys uh, just have the scrimmage against Pine Bluff this Saturday to kind of figure this thing out. But uh, yeah, the, the communication has to be better. The reality is you can work on a lot of those things in practice, but you just are going to learn so much in the game in, in that particular scenario. So I think it's just going to take a little bit of time for this secondary to get better at all that communication. Uh, I fully expect them to be better in October and then even better in November as the season progresses, but there are going to be some growing pains as we watch some younger guys who have not played a ton of actual uh, big time college football together. There's going to be some growing pains as they learn to figure it out and know who's where and who has who uh, and all that good stuff. So it's going to require some patience, uh, some reprogramming of the brain after what we watched last year with all those veteran guys. But hopefully uh, they figure it out soon enough and are good enough that it doesn't cost them a game that could potentially uh, end up preventing them from winning a Big 12 championship. Yeah, but all in all, I mean that that was a really encouraging performance. I know there's there's things we're we're harping on, and I think they're they're right to be pointed out. But I mean, you hold Arizona State 17 points. I mean, that's that's going to win most games on the schedule. Uh, look, and I I don't think Emory Jones is a great thrower. He missed a guy in the back of the end zone early, but he is an electric runner. I mean, that's what he did best at Florida, and they really held him in check with that. That's always a concern facing a quarterback uh, as mobile as he is. But what turned the tide for me, Colby, is the behemoth that is Tyler Lacey. I mean, he just flat out dominated, I thought, on, on the defensive line. And of course, Colin Oliver had a massive sack. Trace Ford looks like he's back to full speed and full health with some tip passes. But I think Tyler Lacey is is really making a case for me early on. Now there's a long way to go. We're not even in the Big 12 slate yet, but he, he's making a case to be Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year if he keeps playing like this through all the way through the season. He has been unbelievable, Carson. That entire front is just, those guys are intimidating. Tyler Lacey, he's just, I mean, he looks NFL, right? He looks NFL. It feels NFL. The power moves, the spin moves, playing inside, playing outside. He, he looks, Carson, like, you know, they played Central Michigan and Arizona State. I get it. It's not Alabama and Georgia, uh, but respectable college football programs. Arizona State's just an average power five program. He looks like he's playing against high school kids out there, Carson. He is just physically dominating at the line of scrimmage. He is so, so good. Uh, Brendan Evers and Sione Asi are doing a great job just eating up space in the middle, throwing guys off blocks, stopping the run. And Carson Colin Oliver, he's so fast coming around the edge. I, I don't know how you stay in front of him. He had a sack down in the red zone in the first half where, I, I mean, it was him versus the left tackle and 
And watching it live, I actually said out loud, I said, did someone miss the blocking assignment or did he beat the tackle that bad? And then they showed the replay on the Jumbotron. And I'm like, oh my God, Arizona State left their left tackle one-on-one with Colin Oliver. And it was like the dude had concrete in his shoes. Colin Oliver was, he ran around him like he was a post and uh, got to the quarterback. And then Trace Ford multiple times lined up against a tackle and just bull rushed him and pushed him into Emory Jones on third down twice in the first half. I saw Trace Ford take the left tackle, grab him in the chest and push him into Emory Jones's left hip. This defensive line is so talented. Uh, You just, gosh, I'm just fingers crossed praying for no injuries throughout the season, all throughout conference play, those nine straight games that you have to play with no buy after you get your buy in week four. It's just Carson. Those guys are fun to watch. They are physically dominating at the line of scrimmage. Yep. Three sacks, eight tackles for loss, 10 quarterback hurries. I mean, they, they were the story of the second half for me. I mean, and Brock Martin forcing that fumble was just sensational. Colin Oliver's just, he, he's must see TV, seeing him come off the edge and the way he was able to sack the quarterback while getting, you know, pretty much held with his Jersey was, was awesome. But uh, I think this is kind of the identity of the defense. And we, we saw that against Arizona state and the encouraging thing for me, despite, you know, some of the issues in the secondary is, you know, the, the number one thing that loses football games is not being able to stop the run. And, you know, Valaday had the, the 42 yarder, but he only had 118 on the day with a 42 yard run. They really bottled him up uh, the rest of the night. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited about this defensive line. You're right. If they stay healthy, I think they're the, they're the best unit, maybe them and Kansas state uh, you can have as an argument, they look really solid, but this is the real strength of the defense. So that's, that's exciting. And you're right. They get, pretty much scrimmage next week then the week off and then it's it's conference play man it's 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 rapidly approaching but um let's get to uh bullets and bbs what do we uh have in store this week from uh, colby powell on bullets and bbs yeah i just i have to give my bullet to tyler lazy i cannot say enough about just how dominant that he looks up front and, and sometimes uh you know colin oliver last year freshman all-american all the sacks all that stuff guys get a lot of the credit malcolm rodriguez but tyler lacy I just kind of feel like right now he is the piece that's making it all work. It's all rotating around Tyler Lacey. He is so dominant on that defensive line. Teams are really having to worry about him. Uh, He looks the part. He just, he screams NFL to me, Carson. Uh, I think he's playing at that level. I think that he's going to be a serious problem all year long uh, for big 12 offensive lines. I, I just, I'm so, so impressed by his development his continued growth at Oklahoma state. He's a guy who's been there a long time and, and we've watched him get better. Right. And, and that's what to me is kind of fun about being an Oklahoma state fan. Uh, some of these bigger programs, you have guys come in, you have guys come out. You got a lot of guys who start for one year. You don't get to watch them grow from a pup into just an absolute beast. And I feel like that's what we've seen with Tyler Lacey. He's just gotten a little bit better each year to where now he's at this point that he is an absolute dominant force that can anchor your defensive line for an entire season. Uh, Tyler Lacey gets my bullet. Ollie Gordon. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going (laughs) Dominic. I'm going Dominic Richardson. Uh, Look, I think Ollie is going to end up being a superstar at running back. I'm I'm not a, I've been trying to pump him up all off season. I think he's going to end up being a really good player, but I think for now, you're starting running backs, Dominic Richardson, and should be the rest of the way. I think he's really proven that he can carry that load. I mean, 27 carries, 131 yards. He missed time in this game. He got he got knocked up uh, in this game, or he got got a knock on him and um, came back in the game. Uh, and I thought 
he really showed me something on that that screen pass we alluded to earlier. I mean, we we know he hits the hole hard, no nonsense. He can one one step and go type of runner. He's not shaky. He's not he's not gonna be doing spin moves, things of that nature. But I think he really showed me something with his agility and just the way he was able to hurdle that that one guy. And I, I think he's shown me a lot through through this point in the season. And I think the starting running backs jobs his now. I do like that that they play multiple running backs. I think Ollie Gordon will get his fair share of playing time. Jaden Nixon only had one carry. I think he'll continue to be part of the perhaps in the passing game. He'll he'll have a role there. But uh, really impressed with Dominic Richardson. Covered him when he was in high school at Bishop McGinnis. A really good high school player. And I think you're seeing him kind of with each game continue to gain confidence. And 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 he he looked really great against uh, against Arizona State. Yeah, that's a great call. He keeps getting better and better, and Oklahoma State needed that guy uh, to make himself known, and it seems like Dominic Richardson has done that. Carson, you're going to love this. Uh, I've been wanting to talk about it all show. I've been waiting for it. My BB is going so strongly to the Big Ten Conference, every single one of them. And and why, Carson, am I giving it to, to the Big Ten? The Big Ten stinks. They stink, Carson. Washington State, 17 to 14 over Wisconsin. Boom. Northwestern loses to Duke. Northwestern, who beat Nebraska, by the way, loses to Duke at home. Iowa State, again, the, the blueprint's out how to beat Iowa. Just get to eight. Iowa State does two better. They get to 10, more than enough to run away and leave Iowa in the dust with their seven <laughs> points. And Nebraska loses at home to Georgia Southern and gets their coach fired, which, by the way, I just found out today that uh, Clay Helton is the head coach of Georgia Southern. Uh, we talk about a, a come up for a lot of coaches. That's a come down for Clay Helton, but a big win in Lincoln over just a terrible Nebraska team that got Scott Frost fired. Carson, this conference is a joke. It is a laughing stock. Uh, and I hope at some point people around the nation start to realize it because boy, what a brutal, brutal day for the big 10. Been saying it for years now. I mean, I think people are finally waking up. I mean, there are some horrible, and I mean horrible, football teams in the Big Ten West. And that's what makes, for my BB, that's what makes Nebraska's fall to the absolute rock bottom in the history of their program even more, I guess, impressive in a way, to fall this far playing in the by far the worst division amongst any Power Five conferences. I mean... You can't even beat Northwestern, who loses to Duke by eight points. They lost to Duke. I mean, it's unbelievable how far Nebraska's falling while playing those rumdums in the Big Ten. And I hope now people will look around and say, wait, maybe the Big Ten's not so good. Same with the SEC. I mean, Bama had all they wanted with Texas. We'll talk about that game. Uh, Florida loses to Kentucky. I mean, all these conferences are pretty loaded at the top, and then it's everyone's everyone's pretty average down the middle and to the bottom of the league. But for some reason, the Big 12 for years has been treated like it's a, a group of five conference. It's been just looked down upon, mocked, made fun of. And I'll tell you what, Colby, the Big the Big 12 is really good. It's 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 wide open this year, and that's because the horrible teams are better. Looking at you, Kansas. Uh, I just, for me, I, I hope people open their eyes and realize what's been true for a long time is that Ohio state's really good. Michigan's pretty good. The rest of them absolutely stink. 
And I'm glad everyone else is waking up and realizing it. Yeah, I mean, it's just become too obvious not to realize it, right? It is in your face. And I'm very curious. I mean, Scott Frost, from what I've read online, his buyout would have gone down by $7.5 million if they had waited until October 1st to fire him. That, I mean, it was worth $7.5 million to them in Lincoln, Nebraska, to get rid of him three weeks earlier. They've got OU coming to town this week. That game fascinates me. Also, Carson, I would really... I would like your thoughts on both of the, the, the two, the two Texas laughing stocks, right? The Texas Longhorns and the Texas A&M Aggies. I, I would like your thoughts on both before I give mine. I mean, Scott Frost should have resigned. He should have done the honorable thing. Said he should have said, I just, I'm a, I'm proud of this program. I quarterback this program in national championship. I'm going to do the honorable, respectable thing and resign. Like that, that's what he should have done. You cannot lose to, Georgia Southern to Clay Helton on your home field, giving up 45 points, by the way. Uh, that was an embarrassment. Um, I thought Texas looked really good. I mean, look, I, I think this is why Nick Saban and those SEC schools never play non-conference games on the road. It's it's a tough spot. I mean, that stadium's never been that rowdy, ever. Not in the last 15 years has it been that rowdy, but you got Bama coming to town. I thought Quinn Ewers looked great. I mean, who knows what happens if he doesn't get hurt. Uh, that, I think that that's what made it impressive to me, though, Colby. They, they lose their starting quarterback who had thrown for like 135 yards through half a quarter. And even with, you know, an immobilized Hudson card, they were right there and probably should have won the game. I thought they, they really outplayed Alabama for uh, 99% of that game. It just took an unbelievable play by Bryce Young to avoid the sack. It took an unbelievable Big 12 refing situation uh, with the, that non-safety where they just literally changed what they were reviewing midstream. Um, but, but it looks to me, Colby, that, that Texas is going to be a tough out. I mean, they're, they're, I didn't think they were going to be able to block Alabama. And the fact they were able to, even when Hudson Card was back there, uh, Texas is better. I'll, I'll give them credit. They, they probably should have won that game. And uh, it, was, it was a good effort. And I, I'm, I'm, I was wrong. I thought they'd get blown out. They, they look, they look really good. So he, here's my Texas take Carson. I think that what we saw Saturday from Texas was fool's gold. I think it was Texas getting really up for a big game against a big opponent, Nick Saban and Alabama coming to town. I think Alabama laid an egg and didn't play very well. I still look at Texas and I think that we're going to be sitting here in December and we're going to be talking about a seven and five Texas team with a fan base who tells us how great they were because they almost beat Alabama. I think that they are patting themselves on the back so hard after losing a game by a point that they should have won, that they absolutely butchered inside the 10 yard line for four quarters. They, let's be honest, Texas had no business losing that game. All, all they have to do is not be an absolute complete utter failure inside the 10 yard line and they beat Alabama. It's a huge win for their program. Now they're patting themselves on the back so hard after a loss that they're going to dislocate their shoulder. They're only an 11 point favorite this week against UTSA. Everybody's flying high. I don't know, Carson. I just, I, I feel like they are on serious upset alert for me uh, against UTSA this weekend. I just, Again, we've seen it so many times with Texas. They will come out and look special, and as soon as we're all ready to give them credit, they will absolutely, uh, you know, wet down their legs. So, uh, again, they should have won the game. They had no business losing it. Now they've got two quarterbacks hurt. Moving forward, I don't know what to make of Texas. Maybe I will end up being wrong, but I, I, I think it's a 7-5 and five Texas team who had a really good Saturday. 
Well, as, as much praise as I heaped on them, I, I think they lose next week. I, I really do. I mean, UTSA is a good team. They're, they're, they're not bad they're, at all. They're a good team. And you throw in the fact that Hudson Card might not play. They might be down at their third string quarterback. This is the Ergo and, Smart. And you're so right. Like, this and really playing like an autoplay video, I guess. <laughs> I was on ESPN and uh, yeah, it autoplayed the video. And okay, then my yeah. was old and slow, so I couldn't close it out. Yeah, good stuff. But, but this would be so, so Texas to lose this week against UTSA because you're right. I mean, they're going to be fat and happy. They're going to be walking around campus saying, man, we had we we should have beat Alabama. We're back. We're, we're so back. And I would wager on UTSA right now. What's the line on that? 11, you said? 11 is all it is. Yeah, I think Vegas knows that this is going to be a tough game for Texas. Um, and, and by the way, I feel like all the money is going to come in on Texas there because people don't know anything about UTSA, but UTSA is a pretty good football team. They went to triple overtime week one with uh, Houston. They went to overtime last week with Army. Uh, again, this is more about Texas for me, right? This is more about the arrogance of Texas because I think Texas is arrogant enough to think that because they played Alabama tight that they can just come out and run over. UTSA. And I don't think that that is the case at all. I'll be very curious to see what happens with that game. Uh, also, Carson, did you get a chance to watch the OU game? Because they were playing at the same time as Oklahoma state. I haven't had a chance to watch it. I don't know how they were up, up seven to three on Kent state at halftime. Uh, but I think it just kind of plays into what we were saying earlier. This conference is very wide open with no juggernaut. Maybe OU wins the conference. I really don't know. Maybe they finished fifth in the conference. I, I, I really am having a hard time figuring out a lot of teams in the big 12 right now. Well, OU is going to have to figure out their offensive line. They they tried to really just line up and run it on uh, Kent State because Washington, that's basically what they did. Washington ran the ball down their throat. And OU's offensive line is very good, and they, they couldn't do it. And that and then I thought their offense for Kent State kind of did a good job of of just moving the chains. And that, that first half only lasted like an hour and 15 minutes because neither team was – able to score. Um, but I, I think OU is, they're much better defensively. I mean, that's a game last year. OU would have won 35 to 31. It really was. And they only gave up three points. Um, they're, they're a lot better defensively, but they're nowhere near as good on offense, especially on the offensive line. They're not going to be able to line up against Oklahoma state and run the football with any success as it stands right now. Now, we all know OU by the time they're playing Oklahoma state, they've, they've usually figured things out, but right now they're, I, I'll say it right now, like that's gonna be a tough game going to Nebraska. When when they you get rid of a coach, you got this interim that they all clearly love. Uh, that's gonna be a big rally point for Nebraska football. And oh, you might have their hands full. Now they they should win and should win going away. But college football is all about spots, and that's a that's a tricky spot for for Oklahoma. So they they weren't very impressive, but I thought that defensively they were. But they got they got a lot of issues on offense. I think so. Okay. I, I think I think that's why. I think you're right. I think the Big 12 is is wide open. Uh, as far as AM, look, I oh, I forgot about AM. Good call. I'm a lifelong Florida State fan. I watched Jimbo Fisher coach nearly every game he was the coach. This is what the program is under Jimbo. He runs a 1998 pro style offense that's not explosive, that's uber conservative. And his offenses were terrible. Other than when he had Jameis Winston, who won the Heisman Trophy, his offenses are awful. They're, they're hard to watch. They're not explosive. He And a, a little known fact is he doesn't recruit well at quarterback. Besides Jameis Winston, they were trotting out the Christian Ponders of the world, the EJ Manuels of the world, 
the Clint Tricketts of the world. They were not good at quarterback. And so you can sit here and say, well, Carson, A&M's getting all these dudes and NIL and defensive linemen and all those things. Well, you got to score. And <laughs> the crazy thing is, is this was not some typical upset from a team like Appalachian State. They dominated this football game. They did whatever they wanted. This was not some, you know, throw a Hail Mary late or kick a long field goal off a trick play. This was flat-out domination. You just go to the stats and... Real quick on that line, Carson, did you know, did you see that Texas A&M did not run an offensive play for more than a quarter, more than 15 minutes of game time? Didn't know that. No. Appalachian state scored on an 11 play drive in which they just absolutely obliterated the clock. Texas A&M returned the ensuing kickoff for a touchdown. Appalachian state proceeded to go on a 17 play drive against the SEC, Texas A&M Aggies, five-star recruits, NIL money. Texas A&M did not take an offensive snap for more than a quarter. And that's what's amazing is they got a kick return touchdown and still couldn't win this game. I mean, that's a huge swing in any football game. But to my point, you're, you're right. They seven. They scored seven on Appalachian State. Exactly. And they're still ranked for some reason, which don't get me started on that. But Appalachian State had the ball 41 minutes and 29 seconds. AM had it 18 minutes. They outgained them 315 to 186. This Woo! was flat out bully ball. They got bullied by Appalachian State. And so, like, all the numbers that came out were so awesome. Like, Jimbo Fisher has a worse record at this point in his tenure than Kevin Sumlin did. A&M is what we thought they were. They are who we thought they were. They are still Texas A&M. I don't, I don't want to hear about – I don't want to hear about Jimbo Fisher recruiting really well, okay? They got Miami coming to town next week. Then they got Arkansas at a neutral site, at Mississippi State, at Alabama, at South Carolina, Ole Miss at home. Florida at home at Auburn at uh, UMass and then LSU to end the year. Like this is, this is what we thought A&M was. They're a four loss to five loss team year in year out. They've won double digit games like twice in the last 50 years. Like they're, they're an average football program. That's what they've always been. So, and <laughs> it's even more concerning if you're an A&M fan that you got upset by Appalachian state, but for more, by far what's more concerning is, the level of dominance Appalachian put on you and said, how about them apples? What are you going to do about it? Absolutely nothing. We're going to run the ball right down your throat and you can't even complete the forward pass. You Maybe A&M will go to the big 10 too. That's where they belong. <laughs> that is where they, they would fit in perfectly with the Iowa's and Nebraska's of the world. Um, Carson, by the way, Honorary BB goes to Texas A&M, but I've got a few more bullets to pass out. Uh, some things that I'd forgotten about, and then I was scrolling Twitter. A couple of guys in the NFL, Malcolm Rodriguez, hip-tossed Jason Kelsey into next season, Boy. which was just really fun to watch. I mean, Carl, he threw him like a rag doll. Well, I, I just caught up on all the Hard Knocks episodes last night, and it was so funny that I had just watched that clip of, of Rodriguez uh, hip-tossing the dude because his linebacker coach comes up to him and goes, what are you going to do when – when the guy comes up on you like this, he goes hip toss him, watch it. And he like, kind of grabbed his hands and like showed him exactly how he was going to hip toss the guy. And I was like, he literally just di diagrammed what he did today on Sunday. It was, it was amazing. And that guy outweighs him by like 70 pounds and he threw him around like a rag doll. Yeah, no, that one was really good. Also Carson, another bullet goes to Jalen Warren. Show me, show me a rookie running back who wants to block 
harder than Jalen Warren wants to block. He had multiple highlights as a rookie getting a 30% snap share in that abysmal Pittsburgh offense. And he had multiple highlights where he is just going in and just, I mean, he wants to block. He wants to hit somebody as a running back. It looked like Najee Harris was going to be out for a few weeks with the foot. And then Adam Schefter about an hour ago says that, you know, the the test came back good and he could be a go Sunday. So maybe Jalen Warren doesn't get that starting role on Sunday, but the way he is blocking, I'm telling you, they love him in Pittsburgh. He was D some people yesterday uh, in what was a really big win for that Mike Tomlin team in week one. The, the freaking Steelers always come out in week one and beat a team they shouldn't beat. Last year, they beat the Bills in week one. This year, they beat the Bengals in week one. I don't know why I'm not on the, the Steelers every year in week one in my pools because Tomlin is just historically underrated as a coach. But uh, Jalen Warren in the blocking scheme, Carson, he's looking to hit somebody. You know what I loved about that block the most is he just levels this linebacker and then as he goes to run up field, he did his little, like, remember his little hop he would do as he's crossing the goal line? <laughs> yes. He, like, and just instinctually did the little hop. It's like when he gets really excited on the football field, he does his little hop skip thing. And he did it after like, a, a punishing block and pass protection. I just love that. Yeah, it's like a tick that he has to do the little hop. All right, Carson, uh, one last honorary bullet before we get out of here. Oh, yes, give uh, it to me. This one's a fun story. This one goes to the Oklahoma City Fire Department. And right now you're thinking, what? The Oklahoma City Fire Department. So yesterday... Uh, during about halftime of the afternoon games, of the NFL, we're going to go over to my parents, have dinner, watch the Cowboys game. So we get over to my parents' house, my wife and I, we get out of the car, uh, and then we go to get the baby out of the back. The car is locked, right? I, apparently one of us must've leaned on the lock button. The car is locked. The baby is locked in the car. Fortunately, we were parked in the shade. It was like 72 degrees, like six o'clock at this point. So it wasn't hot. If it was hot, we would have immediately been breaking a window. Uh, but the keys we're in the car and the car is not supposed to lock if the keys are in the car. It's one of those with the safety feature, but the keys were in the diaper bag and there were some other things covering them up. So the car couldn't since the keys were in there, we couldn't get the baby out of the car. So I call 911, uh, fire department gets there in about three minutes, sirens blaring, and it takes them about two minutes to get the baby out of the car. So big shout out to the Oklahoma city, uh, fire department. Uh, and I guess a, a BB goes to me and my wife because one of us accidentally leaned on the lock button getting out of the car. How'd they get into it? They had, it was really cool. They had this little airbag that they stuck in uh, the back door. They blew up this airbag to give them enough space to get a little rod in there that has kind of a little string hook on the end. And they put that down around the lock that was coming up. They tightened it. They pulled up. Boom. We're in the car. It was, uh, it was really impressive. It was really quick. Uh, and we were very grateful that they got there so quickly and helped us out. Uh, and uh, honestly, a bullet goes to my wife as well, uh, because she barely even teared up. She was very calm. Uh, we handled the situation calmly, rationally, got the baby out all as well in the powerhouse. Well, yeah, and that's, that's a scary deal, but glad it all worked out pretty seamlessly there and appreciate the fire department for helping you out. That's a, uh... It's funny in hindsight. I'm sure it wasn't fun, very funny in the moment, for sure. Um, yeah, no doubt. We're running a little long. We'll do our uniform review and uh, and stuff on the, on the next episode. One last BB, and then we'll get out of here, Colby. Tweeted by Brett McMurphy this afternoon. Through two oh, so games, good. Iowa has 16 punts and 14 points. <laughs> Iowa is the nation's only team with more punts than points this season. And what does that tell you? It tells you the Big Ten stinks. Not any good. They have terrible offenses. 
Iowa finally loses the Cyhawk Trophy. The Big 12 has needed Iowa State to beat Iowa for like the last six years. They finally do so because they're playing a team in a conference that doesn't play 21st century football. It's not like Iowa's got like first-round draft picks all over their defense. No, 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 no. These teams don't score because they're not good at football. I've been saying it for years. Finally, everyone's hopping aboard the Big Ten Stinks train, but the conductor of that train is the Iowa Hawkeyes. They deliver week in, week out. I'm I'm like following Iowa football like I am Oklahoma State football this year, Cole, because it's been a it's been a real joy to watch so far this year. Yeah, it is. That's uh, that's some serious self-hatred if you're actually watching Iowa games because I cannot think of a worse way to spend a Saturday, but I am so, so happy with Iowa State. Worst team Iowa State's had in half a decade, and they finally get it done against Iowa. And I said this on Twitter, Carson, my wish is for Iowa to score exactly seven points in every game. Not six, not eight, exactly seven, and see if they can go six and six on the season because the Big Ten's bad enough that I think it's possible I think it's possible they could go six and six, scoring exactly seven every week. I really don't know how Kirk Ferentz is employed at this point. They should be as embarrassed, if not more embarrassed, uh, than Nebraska is. But, hey, if they want to keep doing their thing, it's good content for us because I, I just, again, I eat it up. I don't watch the games because I don't want to be that bored for three hours. But I do go back and look, and I follow along on Twitter, uh, and just pure hilarity ensues every time Iowa State, uh, pardon me, Iowa takes the field. Oh, it's, it's just chef's kiss. It's just weekend weekend. I hope they keep it going. I, I hope you're right. I hope they, you, you responded that uh, your wish is for Iowa to score exactly seven points every game and try to go six and six. I just, that would be, that would be a, the Mona Lisa of a big 10 football seasons. I would love to see yeah. it. It'd be great. It's like everybody always talks about comparing teams from different eras. If you want to compare a team from the current era to a team of a, a previous era, just have them play Iowa because that's a team from a previous era. It's like 1992 football is what it is. Yeah, I was thinking more like Red Grange, 1915, or whenever he played. Yeah, we can go further back in time if we need to. If they keep not scoring touchdowns, we might have to. Yeah, one touchdown in two weeks. Just It's beautiful. It's, 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 a, it's performance art at this point from Iowa. Yeah, and it's not like they're playing a murderer's row schedule here. It's South Dakota State and Iowa State. It's yeah. pretty hilarious. Love it. All right, Cole, we get us out of here. Yep, good stuff. Another good win for Oklahoma State as they head into the uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff scrimmage this Saturday. We're back later in the week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Go Pokes.